you for joining us at Bangalore Revival Center. We are a church that's dreaming revival with God and serving people in love. It is our desire to equip you to represent Jesus and carry his great joy to the ends of the earth. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit dreamingrevival.com. Now, as you listen to the word, we believe that God will minister to you. Everybody say Bethel. Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. Bethel means the gateway of heaven. And there were some people in the Bible who encountered God when they were running away from situations, when they were in the middle of a problem. And when God encountered them, they laid down everything. I love the word that Brother Nixon brought in last night. We had Brother Nixon ministering last evening and he was, he, he just, I, I don't even have words to express the, the kind of revelation that we went into. He said, you know, you lift your everything. If you have nothing, lift your nothing. Because God is in the business of making something out of nothing. So when these men, they, when they met God at Bethel, and they took out their nothing and gave it to God, you know, God turned it around. And that's why they named that place. And they made an altar. And they said, I'm going to come back to this place. No matter how far along in life I would have gone, I'm going to come back to this place. And, and this altar that I've set up will be a testimony that God met me here. And then he was with me all along, no matter how far I went. And he was with me. And everything that he spoke, and everything that he promised, and everything that he declared, and everything that he brought into life in when he said that time, time is proof that it has happened. And this house is called the house of prayer. And this house will host God. And this house will be called the house of God and a gateway to heaven. So when you are worshipping, be undignified. Because we just finished the Radical Giving series. And the Radical Giving does not stop with your resources. It's, it, it includes even your dignity. It includes your self-esteem. It includes your nakedness. It includes how shameless you can get when you are giving to God. So radically give when in worship. Don't let anything stop you. This church is a church of worshippers, is a church of some shameless lovers of God. And if you belong here, make some noise for Jesus today. Shamelessly make some noise. That was shameless with a limit. Can you 
become shameless unlimited one last time. glory you take everything that you deserve Lord this is our sacrifice this is our everything Lord I pray that you be enthroned upon the praises of your people you be lifted high in their voices in their praises Lord be enthroned upon our praises (laughs) 
in the name of Yeshua we pray amen our God has a name like you have a name your name has a meaning and the name of God has a meaning and when you name a person and when you name a thing it becomes intimate to you and when you get a new car or when you get a new bike and you name it you are meaning something you mean to tell everybody how much it is precious to you and when you name a baby you are declaring something over that baby your God has a name and what you call your God he will be that to you and that is how you will be defining your encounter with God with the name that you give him is it too much is it too heavy should I lighten it down a bit you know what really I'm telling you I came prepared with so much I'm like Lord I, I, I don't even feel the energy to give it to them and I knew why when I came because every every song that we took for worship every song was literally everything that was the word so if you missed out on the song if you missed out on the worship part don't miss the word Amen. Amen. Your God has a name and what you call your God, what name you give your God, he will be that to you. Amen. There is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And yet, when God encountered each one of them, he gave each, they gave God each a different name. Because they and their experience and how they gave a name to God was different. We know Yahweh. We know the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But you know what? Let's go to Genesis chapter 31 verse 53. And you may see something that you may not have noticed before. Because I didn't. I'm reading from ESV. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us, said Jacob. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Go to Genesis chapter 31 verse 42. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, had not been on my side, the God of Abraham and the, and the fear of Isaac had not been by my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. There is a term that is being used to talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob as we know God. But there is a term that Isaac uses for God and that is fear. Fear, Sijo. Now you know why you were thinking of fear all along the whole week. 
Because God had this topic in mind. The God of Abraham is the fear of Isaac. And it, and it took some time for him to reach there. Now we all know the story of Isaac, uh, we all know the story of Abraham. Abraham was called out. Abraham was, was just um, some random person and God visits him and God tells him, move out of your country, move out of your people and your land and come with me and I will take you to a promised land. I am promising you an inheritance. I am promising you a nation. Just leave everything you have. Obey. Obedience. Okay? And while he was moving along, God kept repeating his promise. He said, I will make a nation out of you. And he didn't even have children back then. He said, I will make your descendants as many as the number of stars in the sky and as many as the grains of the sand. And he was still a wanderer. For a nation that big, you need a settlement, you need a place. He did not have a land, he did not have his people, he did not have an inheritance. And in Genesis chapter 12 verse 7, I, I, I'm going to read a lot of scriptures, just so you know that I'm t t talking from the Bible, I'm not making up my own theory, okay? So Genesis, let's go to Genesis chapter 12 verse 2 and 3. Because this is the promise that God is giving firsthand to Abraham. It says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then he goes to verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Here was a man whose life depended, depended on every word that God was saying. If he took even a tangentially different, uh, no, even, even if it was a degree dif uh, different from what he heard from God, he would end up in a whole different world, in a whole different land that would be far away from what God had in plan for him, in store for him. So here you see a man completely abandoned to God, not by God. There, is a, there are people who are completely abandoned to God. It, it goes to say that there is nothing that they value as much as they value the voice of God and the words of God. They abandon to God. And there are some people who are abandoned by God. There is nobody who is abandoned by God. But don't bring, your place to, don't bring yourself to a place where you feel that you are abandoned by God. That happens because of disobedience. But here was a man who was willing to obey every single word that was being spoken to by God. And God, in his greatness, promised him an offspring. And he said, from this offspring, I'll make, you, make a great nation out of you. You know, Abraham would have left home probably at a ripe young age. At a, at a very youthful age. You know how, let's, let's give it a number, let's say 40. Back then, 40 would meant youthfulness. 
and I declare that the people of 40 will define youthfulness in our country. Some 40 year olds say amen. It took him 20, 30, 40 years in wandering and in the desert and in nothingness. Just hearing the voice of God. 40, 40 years in the desert and he's wondering, Lord, you've not shown up till now. And God comes back and says, no, I will give you a nation. I will give you an offspring. And at the age of 76, he tries his hand at getting an offspring which was not the promised offspring. And God says, no, not this one. I will give you an offspring. At the age of 99, God comes back and says, next year, it'll happen. This man has waited enough number of years. But he is not someone who loses faith in God. He is not someone who loses trust in God. Has he had his share of, of difficulties? Has he had his share of abandonments? Has he had his share of being isolated and solitary and misunderstood? He has. But he still wakes up to new mercies every morning. Every day is a fresh day for him. Every opportunity is a new opportunity. And he knows my God is not a liar. He does not fail me. And so at the age of 100, he has Isaac. After going through so much waiting, he has Isaac. Can you pull out that verse 2133? Genesis chapter 21, verse 33. When he saw the fullness of time, when he saw the fullness of God's plan, you know. There are so many times where in the Bible it says, and God remembered. And God remembered Rachel's cry and gave her a baby. And God remembered Hannah crying and blessed her womb. And God remembered Sarah. The Israelites were captive for so many years and their cries went out. And it says so many, many years later, God remembered. What kind of a God is this? A God of amnesia? Like a short-term memory problem? How can you forget a person, a thing, a place? You can forget. How can God forget? Have you ever asked this to your own self? How can God forget? And then how does it come back to his memory? You know, our God is not a random God, okay? He did not blow into space and make Big Bang Theory and said, let something come out of something. He's a very intentional God. He's a very purposeful God. Every creature of His is made out of a purpose. It's made for a reason. Every incident that has happened in your life has come because of a reason. I don't know, is it because you're so dejected? Or is it because you really don't believe what I'm saying? But you need to know, if there is one person who's highly doubting whatever you're hearing right now, you need to know, your God allowed everything. We learned it last time, right? Your God allowed everything 
and has his hand over everything because he is the creator and the finisher of everything. Finisher. He is an artist who comes back to give the final touches. It's not because he forgot he was painting. It's just that there was a fullness of time that he was waiting for. Anybody likes Andhra Thali? No, Andhra Thali, they give you a lot of things. They give you rice and then they, they put uh, sambar and... Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whole lot of things, okay? It's a whole lot of things. Now, people who really like to eat, you know what they do? They keep the best for the last. How many of you understood already what I'm trying to say? They keep the best for the last because they know I'm going to first have the rice with the sambar, then I'm going to have the rice with this poriyal, and then I'm going to have that aloo with this, and then at the end when my plan is coming to a completion, I will bring in this main element that I've kept to the side. I will bring it and I'll introduce it. And a God who is a God of intentionality lets some things be and comes back to it at the fullness of time. I praise God for all the people who've understood what I'm saying. There is the blessing of time that we have been given. And there is a fullness of time because God is the creator of time and there's a fullness of time. And that is why when he sowed some seeds in the garden and the seeds were growing and when the enemy came and sowed weeds among the seeds and the, the, the people who were tending to the ground, they came back and told the master, Master, I see that among the harvest there is also weeds. Can I pull it out? He said, no, wait. Let them all grow to its fullness. At the end, when the harvest has grown high and strong and has become complete, we will pull all of them out together. So let the weeds grow. And there are some weeds in your life that have been allowed to grow. How you define your God when you see those weeds define your God for you and define your encounter for you when you're among those weeds. When Abraham was promised an offspring, he didn't see that promise come through. He didn't, his eyes were not focused on the promise. His eyes were not focused on blessings. His eyes were not focused on anything except God. And so, when the fullness of time came, he knew his God will never fail him. And he had a son at the age of 100. And it says in this verse, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. He was the everlasting God to Abraham. 
the God that we know as God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, for Abraham, it was not just another name that he gave. It was the everlasting God. That was the revelation that he had and that he held on to and that he carried in his seasons of good and bad, in his seasons of fruitfulness and unfruitfulness, in his seasons of being in the desert and being, being in, the, in the lush green, being in the mountain and being in the valley. For him, his God was the everlasting God. Because this God, every word that he spoke, Abraham re received in his spirit that it would be everlasting. Time is not going to change this God. Time is not going to change his faithfulness towards Abraham. Time is not going to, to even bring to redundance the promise that he had spoken. Because for Abraham, this God was the everlasting God. And you know when he did this? After his son was born. After Isaac was born. He waited and waited and waited and, 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 and was so patient. And when finally he saw the fulfillment of God, God's word said, he is the everlasting God. And there he built an altar. This is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. From the life of Jacob, all of you know the life of Jacob. Jacob had to run away from home because he cheated his brother for the blessing. And when he ran away from home, he, he was already an introvert. Like if you, if you look at his characteristics, he was a man who used to dwell in the tents and he used to cook food. Back in the day, it was not so common. Right now, you have Jude who bake, bakes stuff for you. It may not be that, um, you know, uh, it's not that uncommon for men to start cooking. But back in the day, men were supposed to be out in the field. And women were supposed to sit inside and cook. But what made this man an introvert? I don't know if I'm talking to some introverts here right now. Introversion is not a personality type. Introversion is not a personality type. You became an introvert. No child is born shying away by, from crying. No. Each baby, when it requires something, has the capacity to cry out to the mother for help. It's a baby that wants attention. It's a baby that receives love. It comes with its arms and legs flailing. It does not shy away. But there are some things that happened along the way that made you quiet, that made you shut down. Some things that you couldn't trust, some events that happened, some incidents didn't happen. That is why if you do a personality test, they say you can't do it on a child. It's not because children don't have personality, it's because personalities develop by the age of 13. And it keeps, keeps reforming, keeps changing characteristics. You are not an introvert at the age of one. You are an introvert at the age of 22 because certain things have happened and you're not happy about it. And come as it may, you are trying to run away from it. Jacob was an introvert. 
Jacob used to hide in the tents. He used to be behind his mom. You know why? Because the Bible clearly says that es sorry, Isaac as a father loved Esau because of the work that he used to do, because of the animals that he used to hunt. And Jacob grew up unloved by the father. And the only person who understood this was Rebekah, his mother. And so she would always come and hide him. And so he grew up in the tents, this Jacob. Mother always fending for him. Mother bringing up this new plan, hey, your father is going to bless Esau. Come, let me, let me help you out in this. Jacob, why don't you go out and play? No, mama, I want to be with you. Always pulling, tugging at her clothes. Finally, at this juncture, Rebecca is the one who tells him about this scheme, saying, fool your father, take his blessings. And he did that obediently. I don't know how a man never even had the integrity of his mind to put there, but it's okay. Because we know that God in his sovereignty makes everything work together for those who love him. It's okay if you have a mother who shows favoritism. It's okay if you have a father who does not love you. It's okay if the people you trusted failed you. It's okay if there were events in your life that, that kicked you down. It's okay. It's okay. In the sovereignty of God, in the fullness of time, you will see. You will see Him as the everlasting God. And this Jacob, when his brother got to know that Esau was cheated out of his blessings by the father, he said, I'm going to kill this guy. And again, Rebecca came in. The mother came in and said, Jacob, run. If you stay here any longer, I will lose you. And Jacob ran. He fled from, this, from the place. And on the way, while he was running far away, far away from the family, imagine this man, an introvert, he's never gotten out of his tent. His sole friend was his mother. He's, he's running away from his comfort zone. He, for his life, he is in the wilderness. He is abandoned by people, by his, by his father, by his parents. God meets him. In the, in, he was sleeping and in his dream, God comes and says, I will make you a great nation. Who are you? Grandson of Abraham? I will make you into a great nation. Genesis chapter 28 verses 12 to 15. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father and the God of Isaac. The God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread to the west and the east and the north and the south and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, 
I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. And, go and God, just like how he considered Abraham, he considered Jacob, and he said, repeated the same blessing over him. And this man, he woke up and he did not count his, his losses. He lost his mom. He lost his family. He lost his place. He lost his comfort. He's losing his own people. He's losing his familiarity. He's in pain and shock. I just got blessed by my father and I'm on the run now. But this man, he wakes up. He gets this whole dream. He hears God speak to him. And this man, he wakes up and he says, go to 17, verse 17. And he, he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So he built an altar. He, he took the stone that, that was there and he placed it there and he poured oil and he called that place Bethel. You know the story about Bethel? The first place where Abraham had an, the, where, where um, he had planted that tamarisk tree and called it the everlasting God. He named his God the everlasting God. That place of encounter was Bethel. And Jacob meets God at the same place where his grandfather had an encounter. And he calls that place Bethel. And the story continues. He now reaches his uncle's place. He works there for seven years for one wife, gets cheated, gets, has to work another seven years for, another, for the other wife. And then uh, he's there six years. In total, he's spent 20 years when he realizes that his uncle is cheating his, on his wages, him on his wages. So God comes back to, Ab to Jacob in a dream. And he says, get up, take your belongings. You remember 20 years ago, I had told you I will bring you back. That's happening today. 20 years. 20 years slogging for somebody else. Working under, a, under an unfair boss. Working like a slave when he's supposed to be the son in the house. He was the son-in-law. Both of Laban's daughters were married to this guy, to Jacob. He has, he has a right over that place. It's because of his hard work and the favor of God that Laban's flock multiplied, kept multiplying. In fact, Jacob says, when I came to you, you had nothing. See, now when I'm leaving, look at how many flock you have. Look at how much you own. It's all because of my sweat. Can you imagine working 20 years under a boss like that? Today, if your HR turns, turns around and says something bad to you, you, put your sign, uh, you sign your papers and put them down. Like Karan says, no, put down your leaves. You would actually do that. But this man, 20 years, you know why? You know why? Because he had one encounter with God at Bethel, one encounter. And God told him, 
God told him, I will bring you back. But I will make sure that I will be with you. I will never leave you. What more could an abandoned son need? Other than a word that says, I will be with you. I will not leave you. And he held on to that word. Like, like he was falling down from a cliff and he's holding on to a twig. He held on to that word. He literally just bore with every injustice that was happening. There was a lot of pain involved. And on his way back, God, no, sorry. When God comes and tells him, hey, Jacob, get up. Now is the time for you to go back to your land. This is the time, get up. You know how God refers to himself as, go to verse, uh, Genesis chapter 31, verse 13. It says, what does it say? That is the only reference God gave him. I am the God of Bethel. You remember that Bethel? That Bethel, you were out in the cold, had not even a soul to talk to, and you were running away, and you had no clue which direction to run. You were in the desert, out in the open. That Bethel, you remember? Remember how I came? And I showed myself to be God over you. And I promised you something. I am that God. I'm the God of Bethel. And for Jacob, for Abraham, he was the everlasting God. Because that is the encounter that Abraham had with God. And for Jacob, the encounter Jacob had was the promise-keeping, covenant-keeping, miracle-working God at Bethel. And that was the name that he gave God after that. Because God introduced him to Jacob like that. I am the God of Bethel. And then you see Isaac. And like we read, if he was the everlasting God to Abraham, and if he was the God of Bethel, the God of encounters and miracles to Jacob, to Isaac, he was only a fear. What brought him to that point? What brought him to that place? God didn't do anything different that, than what he did to Abraham and Jacob. God appeared to Isaac after the death of Abraham and told him this. In Genesis chapter 26, you will see. It says, Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and I will bless you. To your offspring I will give these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and give to your offspring all these land. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed through your offsprings. Same words, same blessing, same encounter, different name. He was a God of, he was the everlasting God for Abraham. He was the God of miracles for Isaac, for Jacob. But for Isaac, he was the fear. You know why? Because the only thing he counted 
in his life was the pain and the affliction that was brought to him. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. And when Abraham brought Isaac to the altar, he was not a small tiny boy, he was a grown-up teenager. Kept asking his father, Dad, where is the lamb? God will provide. No, where is the lamb? God will provide. Now you lie down on the altar. I am the, I am the sacrifice. But you know that I am the only son you have. You know, at the cost of pleasing his son, Abraham would have sacrificed his son. Because for Abraham, God meant everything. Even above his promise. Even above, above the one ray of hope for the promises that God had spoken over him. Some of us equate God to the pain that we are going through. And, and, and that's, the, that's the thing about time. When our focus is on our problem, God seems distant. And then God becomes the fear of Isaac. So don't define your God based on what you're going through right now. If you know anything about God, if you know anything about how He does things, He is a sovereign God and His hand is over everything. He, His hand is as much on your today as it was in your yesterday as it was in your tomorrow you know why because he works out of time you are stuck in time so you don't see how god can erase the pain of the past but there are so many times when you know there are times when god sends people to pray over you and they'll point out to that one moment when you lost hope and they'll they know that point in time not because they are all knowing it's because God is present in that time in that moment of your life when she or he is talking about it how do I show it to you give me this flag can you hold it for me Okay, let's hold it like this. Okay, let's say that this is your... I needed help. <laughs> hold it on the other end, okay? This is your lifeline. This is the time you were born. This is the time you got um, your first cycle. This is the time you went to school, you went to kindergarten. This is the time you got your first pimple. This is the time you got uh, a job. This is the time... Marriage, job, job, marriage. I don't know how, how that works. Okay, never mind. Uh, children, marriage then. Children, grandchildren, you die. Literally your lifeline, okay? Now, you saw 
how me outside of this lifeline, lifetime, can touch at each point because I am out of this lifetime. You are still here, you were just born. You have only covered till here when I've already seen this. And you only thought, okay, if I pick up science instead of arts, I may not be able to uh, do engineering, so, but God says journalism, journalism. No, 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 science. And, and God says, no, stick to journalism, okay. And, and you're wondering, oh, my life is over. All along, I thought I'll be an engineer. Now I'm a journalist. Where am I in life? Lord, where are you? But God says, no, this, this, I, I, I know this. So that's why I brought you here. And so, if you keep focus on this, you will lose focus on this. And God has his hands over everything. At this point, when you look back at a pain, God comes here. He doesn't change the incident. He's not a time machine. He doesn't go back in time and eradicate what happened to you, no. He takes the sting out of that event. So you come out here, when, when you have a problem here and you look back at God and you say, God, you're faithful. Because at, God had already gone back into your past and every hurt that you were carrying and every feeling of loss that you felt, He just took it out. He has the capacity to take the sting out of your past. So if you keep your heart entangled by your past, you will feel your God is so far away. He becomes the fear of Isaac. Because for Isaac, every time God came into his life, it, it came like this. It came in the in the form of some pain. You know, it says, Isaac had this encounter. Now, if you look at Abraham, and if you look at Jacob, every time God said something, they built an altar immediately. But for Isaac, when as soon as this, this verse is over, you would see Isaac just doing something else. It says, Isaac, when he saw his wife Rebecca, was overjoyed. He brought her in, married her, and, Re and, and Rebecca comforted him over the loss of his mother. You understand what happened? Isaac just got a new God in the form of Rebecca. He never allowed God to comfort him. He was living on second-hand information. Can I say that again? He was living on secondhand knowledge, secondhand revelation from his father Abraham. And that's what happens if you run after a man seeking answers when God has made you the firstborn son. Esau 
you know what happened with Esau. Esau was the firstborn son, but his eyes were on the chicken stew that his brother was making. And the brother said, give me your rights, I will give you stew. I said, okay. Don't be that foolish in life. Where when God has placed you as the firstborn son, you instead run after somebody else looking for answers and end up making them your God. I don't know who I'm talking to. Either, either you are also thrilled at what you're listening to or you are nowhere close to what I am talking about. Isaac was living on second-hand knowledge from his father. And all he could care about, now I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing Isaac, he, God has placed him where he is for a reason. I'm just saying, don't make God the fear of Isaac in your life. Let God not be a fear in your life. Don't live on your pastor's revelation. Don't live on this, this word that I said today that you will remember for the next 10 years. No. Every day is given to you as a fresh revelation. Every day you wake up to his new fresh mercies. This same passage will tell you something completely different when you say God exposed the scripture and God sits with you and teaches you. It will be more relevant to your life. So keep your eyes off of your pain and off your problem. Fix it on God. Don't count your losses. There is no loss in Christ. There is no loss in Christ. And the God who became the fear of Isaac was the everlasting God and the God of Bethel for somebody completely different. And how you respond to that encounter moment defines that moment for you. You know, when, when, when Abraham was shuttling between Bethel and his place called Negeb, he would go to Bethel, he would come to Negeb, okay? Abraham would always, the, the, the name Bethel, the house of God, is synonymous with only Abraham and only Jacob. Isaac, no. Because Abraham would, would settle in Bethel, saying, this is where I first met God. This is the place where my everlasting God met me. And the same with Jacob. Jacob, when he ran away, he was at Bethel. When he went and came back, he was at Bethel. Then he went back home. But you know what? I don't know if I have that verse with me. Oh Lord, help me. <gasps> Give me my phone. There is a place where it says, and uh, Isaac, he met, when, before he met Rebekah, you know, Sorry about this. Genesis. Okay. Genesis chapter uh, 24. Uh, 
Genesis chapter 24, verse 62, okay? It says, Now Isaac had returned from Bir Lahai Roi and had come back to his place. Okay? Before he met Rebecca, he was in this place called Bir Lahai Roi. There are only three times this, this word is mentioned, Bir Lahai Roi. The, the first time this place is named Bir Lahai Roi was by Hagar. Because Hagar, when she was ill-treated by Sarah, his, her mistress, she had to run away from her mistress and God encounters her. And God says, no, I will bless you. Because you're carrying the seed of Abraham, I am going to bless you. And so she names that place Bir Lahai Roi, which means the God who sees the God who sees my afflictions. The God who feels my pain. And while Abraham had a Bethel to talk about, and while Jacob had a Bethel to talk about, Isaac had a Bir Lahai Roy, which was not his place of encounter. Somebody else's encounter. And he would just go to that place just to have a second-hand revelation of what God would, had done to Hagar. You know, your location speaks for you. Where you are located, where you are rooted, where you are grounded, defines your encounter moment for you. Your identity, it speaks for you. And, and that is so important when you talk about sonship, when you talk about your spiritual father, because Isaac wouldn't have been blessed, wouldn't even have been in the radar of God had it not been for Abraham. Abraham was given the promise and God encounters Isaac because he says, your father, I promise to your father, and there are some spiritual children here. You are going to take off from where your parents have landed. Ah. So dry. Let me do that again. And I am not, I'm, not, I'm not making a big speech here, okay? I'm telling you, your parents have gone ahead. Your spiritual parents have gone ahead and won certain words for you in the spiritual realm. And that is why you enjoy a certain amount of freedom. You enjoy a certain amount of favor. And you are not going to encounter those same problems in your life because your parents have already overcome it for you. And you are going to take off from there. And you are going to climb higher levels. Newer challenges for which the anointing is bigger. Your identity speaks your defining moment for you. Your identity defines your encounter moment for you. And the third thing, your altar, it defines your encounter moment for you. When Abraham had an encounter with God, he built an altar and he named it Bethel. When Jacob 
had an encounter with God. He built an altar and he named it Bethel. When Isaac had, a, had an encounter, we don't know what happened after that. He probably never even took it seriously. So many prophets have laid hands on your head and prophesied over you many number of times. This will happen, that will happen. And you just walked off thinking, yeah, okay, so what? But if you don't honor the word, and if you don't value the word that God gives you, and the best way to do that is by building an altar, can you sacrificially receive a word that's coming to you? Coming to church is good and nice. You come to fellowship, you come to sing a few songs, you sit, sit half an hour, listen to some sermon, make friends, exchange contacts, keep in touch over the weekend, we visit each other's homes. It's a nice affair. But if your coming to church is sacrificial, it defines the amount of encounter you will have in the church. You know, it's as simple as coming on time. As simple as coming on time. There are women in this church who have sacrificially not missed church no matter what stage of pregnancy they've been in. If they have no reasons to miss church, you have none. There are people who been bandaged down, they hide it behind their clothes and they come to church. If they are coming to church, you have no rights to miss church. There are people who've suffered from mental illnesses, from trauma, from depression, from anxiety attacks, and have come to church. Because they know the enemy cannot have the last say. And when they come to church, that defines their encounter moment. What sacrifice are you willing to take to receive a word that comes to you? You know, like Brother Nixon said, the word of God is not boring. If you're sitting and sleeping in church, there's some, some problem with you. The word of God cannot put you to sleep. Because the word of God is alive and active. Try sitting on something alive and active. The last thing I want to tell you, the sinner woman, the woman, the sinner woman, sinner man, sinner woman, the woman who was a sinner, she wept and she cleansed the feet of God and poured perfume and treasured the feet of Jesus like they were two bars of gold. You know why? Probably because when the Pharisees had brought her into the marketplace when she was caught in adultery and she was thrown in front of Jesus. The only thing that she could saw, that she could see on the ground were the feet of Jesus. And for her, those feet, those feet, it meant the whole world 
because that was her encounter with Jesus. When she was dragged down the marketplace, she could not lift her head up to counter or to fight with any of these men who dare not ask the other man who she was caught in adultery with, but instead dragged her out naked, without clothes, humiliating her, dragged her through the marketplace, through the people, all these mocking voices, and threw her in front of Jesus. She lifted her head up and she saw the feet of Jesus. The mercy that flew down that voice. Oh, the love, the grace. That's all that she required at that moment. She did not have to fight her battles. Oh, she didn't fight her battle. All that she did, they say, I want to be at the feet of Jesus. That Jesus who rescued her. That Jesus who did not condemn her. That Jesus who looked at the other men and said, off. Take your dirty hands off of her. She's my daughter. That Jesus who spoke for her. That Jesus who sacrificed himself for her. That Jesus who gave her an identity. That Jesus, she didn't care about what he looked like. Her, her, his feet were the most beautiful things for her. And that day, she decided, oh, if there is one place I want to be, it will be the feet of Jesus. If there's one place I desire, it'll be the feet of Jesus. If there's one place I'm going to shed my tears, it'll be at the feet of Jesus. If there's one place I pour out my treasure chest, I withhold nothing. I withhold nothing. I will pour out my everything. It's at the feet of Jesus. How can your worship be like that lady? Probably you were never in that place where you had to be dragged and the only thing that you could see, you could behold, were the feet of Jesus. And then I pray that you would fix your eyes on God and not the problem. She had so many grudges to keep against those men. She had so much to account for, for all that the, those men, those Pharisees were doing to her. And she kept none of it. She counted none of it. She counted none of that pain. All she desired, all she wanted, was to be at the feet of Jesus. Oh, the most beautiful things on earth for her. She could pay her pay off her entire life savings just to honor those two feet. Because that was her encounter moment with God. Oh, those feet, oh, those feet. 
the highest place I can ever be, the highest place I can ever reach would be the feet of Jesus. Oh, the feet of Jesus. Oh, the feet of Jesus. Oh, Yeshua. Can you all stand up and lift your hands high and say, I want to be at the feet of Jesus. Yeshua. Yeshua, ah, ah, my beloved, my beloved is the most beautiful among thousands and thousands. My beloved is the most beautiful among thousands and ten thousands. My beloved is the most beautiful and ten thousand. Yeshua. your pain you have missed the point but if you see your God come through you can call upon the name of God in fact you can give him a name that will compel him to move for you he is the God of intimacy he is the God who sees you he is the everlasting God he is the God of wonders and miracles. He is the God who is ever present. Ever present means He's there in your past, He's there in your future, He's there in your present. Right now, right now, even as I speak, He is holding that little baby that was you. 
he's he's holding that little baby he's holding that little boy he's holding that that girl whatever moment in time where you would have lost hope that time god is holding you can we all take time to speak in tongues come on come on come on speak in tongues right now forget about anything and anybody let nothing bother you take in the fact that god is here god is with you and he is a very personal god he is a very personal god he is a very personal god he personalizes himself for you his promises are personal for you he created you unique his promises over you are unique he moves in a way that is unique to you he knows you in a way that nobody else knows you he is a god of intimacy he is a god who says you and i you and i you and i god says you and i you and i it's just you and i oh can you tell god lord it's only you and i it's just you and me lord everything i care about on this earth is just you lord it's just you and me oh it's just you and me i have nothing bigger i have no one bigger than you in my life lord it's just you and me you and me and you and me and nobody else not my parents not my friends not my riches not my lack of riches not my job not my business not my skills it's just you and me lord is this you and me lord you and me and you and me and nothing else lord because at the end of the day i just want to be at your feet nothing else lord 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 i don't want anything else if there comes anything between you and me no matter how precious it looks i will pour it at your feet lord i pray that you would take some people sleep away some people who have dedicated that time for you and are not able to find time lord i pray that you would take their sleep away we lay our sleep at the feet of jesus 
sacrificially we'll wake up lord sacrificially we'll sit into the night because you and me and me and you and nothing else we give you praise because you are a personal god you are such an intimate god you are such a beautiful and awesome god you meet me in a way that only makes sense to me because so you you are you are so interested you're so interested in me so it's just going to be you and me you and me only lord we give you all glory we give you all praise in the name of yeshua we pray thank you for tuning in we believe that you are blessed by the word we would love for you to be our guest on any of the weekends on a saturday night service at 7 pm or a sunday morning service at 11 am for more information please visit our website streamingrevival.com